Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology. Happy Monday. Hope you guys are doing well and had a nice weekend. We are going to start off this week talking about the sun's upcoming conjunction to Pluto in the sign of Capricorn. Um, I think we're going to spend two days on this uh, today and tomorrow. Um, we'll, of course, have a continuation of the Tao Te Ching for Astrologers series this week and some other stuff. Um, but before we get into it today, don't forget to like and subscribe, share your comments in the comments section helps the channel to grow. Uh, you can always find transcripts of any of my daily talks on my website, which is nightlightastrology.com. Uh, this week, we are beginning our uh, Roots and Spheres program. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out, go over to nightlightastrology.com, look at the courses page and check out the Roots and Spheres program. Uh, my wife and I are leading moon circles throughout 2023, where we will be studying the astrology of the moon circle, the moon cycle uh, in a group and pairing it along with a plant teacher that we'll be dieting every month. So um, it's a more hands-on way to uh, work with the astrology of every lunation cycle and to try to uh, pair it with some plant wisdom as we go along. Uh, if you have any questions about that program after you check it out on the website, email us, info at nightlightastrology.com. Hope to see some of you there. All right, let's take a look at the real-time clock before we get into it today. Um, I have been... Um, reading a really interesting book, and I'll tell you about it in a second. Actually, let me let me show you the transit first. So this is the transit of Pluto to the sun, or sun to Pluto, I should say, that we are going to be seeing this week. Here we are on Monday, January 16th. We're going to see the conjunction coming through on Wednesday, the 18th, and then we'll give it until about Friday, the 20th, when the sun passes into the sign of Aquarius, um, before we're really seeing the separation, especially since it's jumping into another sign. So that means this week is a Pluto sun week. We've talked about Pluto and the sun many times before. So one of my favorite challenges as an astrologer is to figure out new ways of talking about transits um, and hopefully give you guys uh, a new way to turn that jewel and catch the light bouncing off from it uh, at a different angle. So Pluto sun transit this week in Capricorn. Of course, this is coming through also as we have a darkening moon. Um, over the weekend, we will have the new moon in Aquarius on January 21st, followed by a Venus-Saturn conjunction on the 22nd on Sunday. So at the end of the week, we're going to be looking at those transits, the new moon and Venus-Saturn. The early part of this week, we're going to take a look at the um, the Sun-Pluto dynamic, and also kind of keeping in mind that there is a dark moon around it. So uh, that sort of informed the way that I've approached preparing this week. Um, <clears throat> so onto this book that I've been reading, and now I'm going to forget the name of it. So I'm listening to it on Audible. I like to take walks and listen to audiobooks. It's one of my favorite ways to take in New material. So this is called The Black Sun, The Alchemy and Art of Darkness by Stanton Marlin. And it has been perfect listening for the upcoming uh, Sun-Pluto conjunction. I highly recommend this book. Uh, if you've never heard of it again, it's called The Black Sun, The Alchemy and Art of Darkness by Stanton Marlin. Um, it's about sometimes in alchemy, I guess there was a concept called Soul Niger, Niger. And it was uh, the concept of the dark sun. It was a it was a alchemical symbol uh, in a, in ancient alchemy, and um, the book is really about that symbol in alchemy and um, looking at it also from the perspective of depth psychology, a little bit of astrology, um, and uh, and um, archetypal uh, 
psychology as well. So Jung and Hillman. Um, and it's been like, I feel like it, it, it might as well just be called the sun Pluto book <laughs> because as someone who just went through Pluto opposite the sun for several years, and maybe some of you out there have been through a Pluto sun transit or were born with one, I was born in a sun Pluto square. So this was also a really interesting way of kind of visiting that sun Pluto dynamic that I was born with and sort of a transits that hit um, one part of an aspect will often illuminate that complex in your natal chart. So I found it really fascinating. Um, although outside of fascinating, it was uh, a lot of other things. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, I want to talk today about the dark sun um, as an alchemical slash psychological and spiritual symbol that correlates with a Sun-Pluto transit, um, some of which is inspired from uh, the book that I was just mentioning, uh, but some of which also comes from other texts and from my own personal experiences and observations having just gone through a Sun-Pluto transit. So I hope you will enjoy this exploration of the dark sun as an alchemical symbol. And why we use the dark sun? Because when the sun and Pluto conjoin, it is as though we get a different kind of sun. It, one way of thinking about it is that the sun becomes a sun glowing with the darkness of the underworld, or it becomes a Hades sun. So what does that look like? And um, what kind of themes go along with it? There are five of them that I want to talk about today, which I think you could work with, or maybe you'll just notice this week as the Sun-Pluto conjunction unfolds. So um, I'm going to take a little bit of time to unpack every one of them, but I, I think... Um, uh, hopefully this will be accessible and not like too, uh, too complicated. You guys will have to let me know. Um, so number one, um, one of the things that the Sun-Pluto conjunction can help us to do, or any Sun-Pluto aspect can help us to do, is to live with death as a present reality rather than an eventual or distant event. There's a way in which we live in the world and we're like, oh yeah, you know, I, I'm aware of death. Like I'm not ignorant. I'm not a fool. Like I know death exists. But how many of us live with some awareness of death as a contributing player every day? Not just like, well, I'm grateful because I'm alive and, you know, someday I'll die. And so I'm trying to be grateful for the moment or, you know, something, something like that, like a, you know, like a uh, Instagram meme that's like, I'm just happy for today because you never know what'll happen. It, even that makes it feel like death is this stranger who could interrupt and, you know, mess everything up at any given time. And so just stay grateful, stay, you know, try to stay in the present moment because death could mess it all up and you just don't know when. That's not really living with death as a present reality. It's living with an awareness of mortality, I guess. But and, and it's good to stay grateful and present. I'm not opposed to that. But living with death as a present reality rather than some distant or possible event that you should stay aware of and, you know, maybe try to stay present or grateful as a result, right? It's, it's a totally different thing. Um, the dark sun as an alchemical symbol that comes up, for example, in therapy, when as a, as a symbol in people's dreams. Think, for example, of, um, I had a client who, and I'm going to forget his name. Uh, oh gosh, what was his name? I'm going to forget it. It's the, it's the sound garden guy. Um, Chris Cornell, was that his name? Yeah, Chris Cornell. Um, I had a client who um, had a son Pluto transit happening when Chris Cornell uh, died. And I believe Chris Cornell took his own life. Let me just, uh, was it? Uh, yeah, so um, 
this client was having a Sun Pluto transit. If I yeah, so it was a Sun Pluto transit. Uh, Pluto transiting their natal sun, in other words, when Chris Cornell died. And um, what I found really interesting was that they had fallen in love with Chris Cornell when they were in high school uh, during another Pluto transit, not to their sun, but it was like their ascendant or their moon or something else. And during high school, they had been like super depressed. And um, this the Soundgarden album, Black Hole Sun, I think that was the name of the album, or it was the name of the hit song. You remember that song, Black Hole Sun, which Chris Cornell wrote and sang and so forth, um, had gotten uh, it had gotten at an archetypal complex that this individual related to very deeply and profoundly. And the way they talked to me about it, it was really pretty moving. It was a, a session I'll never forget because it was like one of a few, I mean, there's been a few, times like that, that I can remember where someone has died, that someone, one of my clients has not known personally, but like a famous person and it's had like a really, really big impact on them. And this was, this was the case with this client, Chris Cornell died. And, um, they told me that it was during high school. So we looked back and sure enough, they're having another Pluto transit and black hole sun had made this big impact on their life because it made them feel as though there was that their depression wasn't just, um, evidence of them being off or wrong or like there's something wrong with you because you're depressed but that chris cornell had given them the feeling that there, through this song that there was a luminous presence in that darkness not that there's like a light in the darkness not what i'm saying that there was a, a dark sun and that, that there is such a thing as a dark sun that there is an underworld and then that underworld has its own ontology, which is to say it has its own light. It has its own beingness and its own validity. And that, that, that there's, so there was something shining in the darkness, but not the shine of the daytime sun, the shine of the dark sun. And this person had decided, made a willing choice rather than being depressed to inhabit that darkness. And they changed the way they dressed and they changed their attitudes and outlooks and their bedroom and their, you know, like everything changed because they decided I'm a creature of the underworld. And it was the song by Chris Cornell, black hole sun. So now as an adult, they were going through this terrible crisis in their marriage and Chris Cornell took his own life and it was a Pluto transit to their son. And it was having this really um, devastating effect on them. Like they, 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 uh, I just think it's just so beautiful that this would even happen like this. Um, but one of the things that we ended up spending a lot of time talking about to, I won't go too in, in depth about this. And I do have permission to share this story. Um, one of the things that we ended up talking about uh, quite a bit was like, well, you know, here's another loss in your life. Like they, they had set, they had entered into like, normal sunny day adult life they were no longer the, the like gothic you know alternative grungy rocker that they became in high school they were more or less like a square you know like this is as they were kind of describing it to them so i'm not like trying to be mean or anything like i'm like a mom with kids and a marriage and a mortgage and a job and blah 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 and i'm like i'm living a pretty normal life like i don't address normal like i've still got like the alternative you know iTunes playlist or whatever, but like I'm in, an, I'm in this like normal adult looking life now. And then their marriage fell apart during a Pluto sun transit and Chris Cornell died. 
And it, they said that it was like being back into that underworld space. But as an adult, uh, you know, there was this fear that like, well, I can't just like become a goth again. Like, I can't just like dress goth again. I've got kids and I'm like living this normal life. And, but what we talked about that was really important was how do I get back to, um, a, creating space in my life for the dark sun? Right, creating space for the underworld to have a presence, to have an, an by ontology, I mean a realness and um, a place. Um, not just that it's an aberration, not just, oh, well, I'm depressed because I'm going through a divorce and how do I make it all better? Right. It's like, no, um, how do I give a reality, a name, and um, how do I kind of like, how do I? become a citizen of that world again. It had, she had been able to do that in high school, right? Well, this is what the alchemical symbol of the dark sun is all about. Death, darkness, the underworld as a present reality that needs space and place in our life rather than um, it just being something that comes up and like, well, stay present because you never know, you know, try to stay grateful because you never know when you could lose someone or when something bad could happen or that's not living with that's not giving space for the black sun, right? It, it, it's saying, well, I recognize that it's there and it could really fuck me up anytime. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it could really just storm in and, you know, flip my lid any, at any point. So I'm just going to stay grateful and keep posting the roomy quotes, you know, <laughs> you know, this would be like a little bit more in like, what is the intentional way that we can create space for, uh, we're, we're citizens of a country that knows a different kind of light. It's a, there's a sun in that country, but it's a dark one. And that's the, it's not hell. It's not evil. It's not a place of zombies. Isn't it sad that one of the only, it seems like one of the only spaces that we know, like it's like our imagination is so bankrupt when it comes to giving uh, room for the dark sun. And you can tell that that's the case because one of our most popular types of shows or movies are zombie apocalypse movies. And, um, you know, when the dark sun can only appear as the literal dead or dead coming to life and slaughtering and killing people when, when the, the dark sun can only appear in like post-apocalyptic nightmarish, you know, slaughterhouse movies and stuff like that, we've gone off the tracks because, um, it's, there's, that's almost like one, that's just one aspect of what the underworld can be evil, dark, dead, creepy horror. Like it can be that. Um, but there's, you know, the, the, uh, like one of the people I've always appreciated their ability to bring the underworld, um, to life in ways that aren't just strictly like, um, you know, like horror, the horror genre, although I, I like, I like horror and suspense movies, like, you know, here and there, I'm not like, uh, trying to come out against them or anything, but I like Tim Burton. He can always make things that are sure. Or, um, who's the other guy who did pan's labyrinth? Oh, what's his name? Guillermo del Toro. Is that his name? I think so. Uh, the, the Pinocchio that recently came out, I thought that was a, like a dark, that, that gave space for the dark sun. So how do you live with the dark sun as a present reality? It's not the same as stay, as saying like, just stay present because, you know, bad things could happen. Keep your chicken soup for the soul book handy, you know? <laughs> so 
death as a present reality. And this woman in this client session, I'll never forget that that session was all about becoming a citizen of the underworld again and going back to, but it looks different. It's not going to be black lights and, you know, smoking weed and wearing flannel shirts and ripped up jeans, at least for her. <laughs> Maybe it is for you and that's fine. God bless you. <laughs> but for her, it was like, what's the version of that that works for my life right now? You know, and it was about giving herself permission all over again to do that. Um, and it was interesting to her that Chris Cornell was like a soul guide or so like a psychopomp. Um, he as at least as an archetype, he played that role for her. Um, so anyway, and we all can play archetypal roles for one another. Um, even though we're also, you know, people, not archetypes anyway. Um, number two, death as the dimming of the real. One of the roles that Saturn plays as the ancient opposite of the sun is the ruler of darkness. Uh, Saturn was also prior to the discovery of the body that we call Pluto. Um, Saturn was the planet associated with the underworld and with darkness and with everything that in many ways Pluto now represents uh, in modern astrology. Um, one of the great services that Saturn does is to present uh, a kind of doubt. Uh, it's a sacred doubt. And it, it's um, not a doubt in, say, uh, you know, it can be very basic. Um, I doubt whether what I'm doing is going to make me happy right now or in, over the course of my life. I, I doubt whether or not my relationship will last, or I doubt whether or not my kids will end up okay or whatever. Just we have doubts. And generally speaking in our very like poly positive, bright, sunshiny kind of way, um, we tend to think of doubts as like things to be overcome. I rose up, I had doubt, but I kept the faith, right? And we all huddle up and, and <laughs> pray for the conviction to just keep going with our faith. And eventually we'll climb that mountain. You know, it's like, it's very heroic. Nothing wrong with that. Th that's an, as I, as you guys have heard me say a million times, that is an archetypal reality, just as valid as any other. But um, one of the great services that Saturn can do is to give us this doubt as a sacred um, vehicle for imagination. Here's what happens, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this. Let's just say that you are um, you're you're walking around and you're utterly confident, you know, about about something. Like let's just say you're in uh, you're raising kids, and I'm just imagining this could be the case for me when my kids get older. You're raising kids and they're in high school or something, and you're utterly confident that they are kids. They're, you're, you know, your kids are uh, not doing drugs. <laughs> you're like, they're good. They're good ones. You know, I've got kids. They're not smoking the whoopee weed. <laughs> you know? like, like they're on the right track. They, so you, you got that confidence. And then one day, you know, you discover a, a bong in your kid's closet or something. And you're like, all, all of a sudden, uh, all of this. And it's a funny story about that. When I was in high school, I remember, um, we visited uh, one of the, there was like a, there, there was like a, when I was in junior high, the high schoolers, there were high schoolers who were like our, like kind of like our mentors for a youth group at church. And uh, we were visiting one of the high schoolers houses and we found a playboy in his closet while he was like downstairs doing something. We were in his bedroom, hanging out with him, me and this other guy that he was like our mentor. And we found a playboy in his closet, you know, <laughs> 
oh my God, he doesn't love Jesus. You know, <laughs> just like <laughs> we, were, we were, right? But that um, that was such an important moment. And going back to the example of finding a bong in your kid's closet, um, because all of a sudden what that doubt does is it it opens up a portal. What you thought was real, sunshine, it, just like the, the sun casts light on everything and you go, oh, there's a tree and there's a house and I'm looking at the snow outside and everything's clear and visible and you know clearly distinguished. There's an objective truth and it's right here. What happens in the evening, you know, in the nocturnal hours when darkness comes, then shadow and light swim together and the distinctions and boundaries between things are less clear. You find the bong in the closet. Suddenly, am I a good parent? Is everything really okay? And it might initially, like those are very, that's like a very moral example. Like is, is this, what if everything that I've thought is good is actually not so good? And But actually, and so oftentimes doubt can, it, when doubt gets introduced, especially when we're living in a heroic paradigm, doubt will appear to us as like a moral quandary. You know, like I, for example, um, many, many people that I've talked to, they'll be going through a Saturn transit in their seventh house and they'll be, they'll find that they are interested uh, emotionally in someone else. And they'll go, oh my God, you know, I'm not being faithful. They'll get really you know, worried. And one of the ways that I'll often speak to them is I'll say, well, are you are you not being faithful or are you starting to see that things aren't exactly as you thought they were or that things are changing, but some part of you wants to insist that they, that, that, um, a truth that was, you know, a truth that was, is no longer. And there's some resistance to that. So often doubt will start to come in and, um, it, it basically starts to make something that we thought was clear and solid it starts to make it translucent and we can start to see through it. So I remember very distinctly that when I was in high school and we found that Playboy in, in our in the high schooler's closet, you know, but the doubt that introduced opened up this whole imaginative world. Well, uh, and it was complex. Here's a really good guy who we really look up to, who maybe has some aspects of him that at that point in time for me, I'm not judging him at all, but at that point in time for me, were questionable, you know? So one of the things that living with the dark sun does is it causes us to cast doubt on things that we think of as luminous. This is why you'll often see solar figures like a president or a leader of some kind having some dark secret or truth revealed oh my God, the hero has fallen, right? And again, it's like moral and it's and we often spin it as corruption. And But we're rarely ever thankful for what it does, which is to make something that was appeared like clear and objective and solid, just true. And it'll open it up and make it more translucent, which then allows for imagining to continue. It allows for contemplation to continue. It, al it allows for creativity to continue. As soon as you start to see through something about yourself that you thought was an objective truth, and usually you do so because doubt will come up, then in, in a way something is dying in you, but at the same time, a, a, an imaginative portal to what might come next or what, what other truths could emerge or what, you know, any kind of contemplative act like that, the imaginative contemplative act that's caused because of, because of doubt, um, is a kind of death, but it's a death that introduces the continuation of imagining uh, and, and continued creativity. So 
death or doubt as the dimming of the real, but as the opening, further opening or expanding of imagination. Um, really, really important. Um, I remember when, um, you know, my parents were going through a divorce and I remember talking to my mom and I remember she just said, I just feel like I haven't been like, cause she got married and she was very young. She was like 19 or 20. And she just said, like, I just feel like the whole world is open to my imagination again. And this was something that had come through after what felt like this, a total assault on what she thought was real or true or good or wholesome. And the dark sun will do that to us. It darkens that sense of heroic certainty and truth and moral, you know, moral uprightness sometimes. But it also opens things back up into the um, nocturnal space where shadow and light swim together and possibility and imagination are um, the prime material. Number three, death as guardian angel. Um, you know, one of the beliefs that uh, ancient people had, and this is true um, from Eastern religions, like really all across the world, is that each of us have um, different kinds of guides or spirits that accompany us. And like you could, there's probably a phenomenology of spirit guides that's, you know, vastly different from here to there around the world, right? But the basic idea that you'll see repeated is that sometimes there are dark spirits that guide us. By dark, what we mean is they appear almost like malicious, like they're trying to do us some harm. And yet some, these spirits are sometimes considered to be the most protective. I'll never forget um, when I was in an ayahuasca ceremony and I was uh, incredibly terrified by what I felt like were just completely dark, terrifying spirits that seemed to be um, harassing me. I don't know how else to put it. Um, and in talking to the shaman about it and describing what I was seeing and feeling, he was able to relate to me that actually those are those entities are these very specific protective spirits that come in and, um, you know, they sort of, um, there's a theme common throughout in shamanism all around the world of being dismantled or dismembered and, but the, with the ultimate aim of, of healing. And so there is a sense in which, um, the dark sun is often something that dismantles, dismembers, terrifies, haunts, um, but it does so in order to protect and protect against what? Um, stagnancy and often uh, some kind of uh, calcification of the heart and soul. Um, it, it's as though we need to be scared out of complacency. And oftentimes the hardest part about that is that, you know, um, most of the time complacency is something that looks and feels rather benign. And so when you get terrified, um, by something, it's easy to feel offended, or it's easy to look at the thing that is prompting you out of some benign, you know, kind of la-la stuckness, and it's easy to look at it and go, oh, that was evil, right? Because what did I do to deserve that? But that's exactly the thing that keeps us stuck, is often, not always, but often, is this feeling that like, well, everything in the world is just fine. There's, I'm doing everything, you know, like moderately okay. I don't deserve to have like, you know, a taser shot into me from the cosmos. I mean, I'm not doing anything that bad, you know, that, but that's actually the symptom 
of, of in some ways of being complacent and so it's very easy when the black sun shows up and and sort of prods us and and terrifies us that it can feel like a dark angel but it's often uh it's often taught in various traditions that that kind of provoking us into continued growth and change is coming from a protective spirit that is often um scary looking or scary feeling that's interesting i'm not i that's a heavy one all right so if that doesn't sit well with you it doesn't to me either it's not like i want to curl up on the couch with a nice pb and j after <laughs> like after that one you know but but there's something to think about number four uh transgression is the key to the secret city the black sun tells us that it's only when you mess up right and, and this is a big one we were kind of talking about this is with death as the dimming of the real it's only when you mess up and make a mistake that you gain entrance into the the lowliest of places you have to feel like a real mess up sometimes in other words before you can um have true compassion and generosity of heart it's like it's it's easy i find that like um you know, like uh, one of the things that I see just in general in the social media world is that the quickness with which we leap to condemn someone or something that we don't like, we might have good reason to like on paper, intellectually, it might be easy to list a few reasons for why someone, someone doing something or saying something in particular uh, is outrageous or immoral or off. But uh, you'll find in, again, many different religious and spiritual traditions that there's a warning against leaping to cast the first stone. And I think one of the reasons to that is not just because it's like, well, be a good person, turn the other cheek and don't condemn because all of those moral instructions are, um, they're, they're, they, they fall flat uh, if you don't get the, the sort of like the grit that they're coming from. The grit that they're coming from is is really about the underworld again. It's like, well, look, if you've ever really messed up, if you've ever really hurt someone, if you've ever really um, taken yourself by surprise with your own self-destructiveness, um, if you've ever really been horrified, you know, by some of your own thoughts, uh, if you've ever had those kinds of experiences, um, but you've you've given space to them, just like we give, we try to make some room for the land of the dark sun. If you've made room for them with grace and mercy, you've forgiven yourself and you've just allowed those aspects of your psyche to, you know, to be there. You've just said, okay, well, I mean, that's there too, I guess. Um, if you've done that, then you have gained access into the dark reality that lives in every human soul, in every being and in nature itself. It's like, have you ever watched Animal Planet? You know what I mean? Like, you think we're exempt from that? You know, like, you know, I'm not you, but just like any of us, are we exempt from that? No, we're not. We're not exempt from the tooth and nail any more than we're exempt from like the, you know, it's, I love the parts of planet, uh, uh, animal planet when David Attenborough is narrating and you see like some beautiful, um, chimp like nursing its or whatever, playing with its kids or something, you know, or you see the, the, beautiful algae blossoming in multi-colored glow under the oceans, uh, under the surf at night or something. It's like, oh, it's, we live in paradise, you know? But I also, I also like being reminded of like the, you know, there's, there's the hunt and there's a uh, crazy, you know, there's frogs devouring bugs and there's, and it, it's like, 
once you you mess up and you get access to your own shortcomings in a really deep way, you you realize that you don't want to invalidate that world because that world is is life giving. That world is like the the substrate. It's uh it's like a soil in our consciousness that it, it it's complicated. <laughs> you know, like it's not. You don't want to like. I'm not trying to make it sunny, but it's a dark sun. And um, once you appreciate that that's here, that that's a part of everything else. It's an, it's a part of the web. Um, it's a lot harder to condemn. You don't, you don't have to condone either, you know, but it's, it's like condemning it with some sort of self-righteousness. You don't belong here. Get out. You know, this doesn't have a place like that. Problematic. So, making mistakes and the world that it opens you to psychically uh that and and having mercy and giving it place right this is why in not just the story of christ but in many stories there's a story of descent you know the the, the death the descent into the underworld and the resurrection they all go together they're all a fab they're all part of the a unified fabric the dark sun is the secret city that transgressions make us aware of and that keep us from like, like uh, um, worshiping, idolizing the daytime sun without some quiet awareness of the dark sun. Finally, um, number five is blood is light. So um, it's really the dark sun makes us aware. And I was just sort of alluding to this when I was talking about nature, it makes us aware of the fact that the everything in reality, uh, the, at least the physical reality that we can see, we can observe and you know, that we, we observe carefully, we will notice this. Um, it's fueled by blood and not just the blood, but the circulation of blood through the body, through our own bodies, but also through nature. You can think of that in a million different ways from the, the blood deep in the earth that is the oil that we end up fueling cars with and uh, from, the, and I'm not um, suggesting that's a, a great path to keep going down forever, but the, 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 the fact that life eats life, it's a, that is a picture of the same kind of circulation of blood that's in our own bodies. Plants eat plants, animals eat animals, people eat plants and animals, all of it living, all of it with life force, whether you blood or whatever, you know, literal blood or other, other forms of energy that define the life force of a being, but blood and the, the light creates and, 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 um, disseminates this life force of blood. Um, and that throughout the ages, the black sun has been the, awareness of this that leads to the offering of this dark red luminous substance which is like a dark sun um, back up to the to the sun to the light uh, all traditions uh, around the planet have been aware of the need for sacrifices of blood now that could be the blood sacrifice involved in birth uh, that could be the blood sacrifice involved in building a village it could be the blood sacrifice involved in, um, you know, animal sacrifices that civilizations had for rain or crops. Um, and there's the same thing continues on nowadays. And there are forms of sacrifice that are 
uh, about power and about the things we sacrifice for the sake of hunger and lust and desire and power and greed. And there's things that w- ways in which we can sacrifice that are more about circulation and reciprocity. Uh, there's different ways of, of participating in the circulation. And, and, but the, the basic awareness that blood is circulating and that blood should be lifted up. Let me tell you the word blood etymologically means uh, coming from the, uh, uh, the German and uh, going all the way back into Old Germanic, that which bursts forth also blood from bloma, flower to thrive and to bloom. Um, sacrifice, uh, meaning to, um, one of the things that sacrifice uh, means will be to make something sacred uh, or to set or put something forth um, as a way of um, of offering or of uh, taking something and acknowledging it as something greater than what it is. Uh, and then alter what we put the sacrifice on uh, from the Latin altus, meaning to lift up high. So the black sun as an image is like blood. And it's, it's the recognition that um, for things to grow and for life to, to move, there's always a, a dark force of circulation, of exchange, and of um, consumption and excretion. Um, and, and it's dark. It's, it's a dark thing that we, um, it's very easy to skip over it. You know, and and frankly, just my personal opinion as someone who's been a vegan and vegetarian at different times in my life, I don't particularly think that veganism or vegetarianism are exempt from this either. It's still no matter what, where you can't walk on this earth without killing things, you can't eat plants without killing things. So I'm not, and I'm so I'm not trying to suggest. But by the way, I love all my vegan and vegetarian friends. I'm mostly vegetarian myself. So the the. I'm just saying that none of us are exempt from it. That's all I'm trying to say. Not not to condemn or uh, lift up any one diet or anything like that. Um, so blood as light, that would be number five. Um, so these are things that, these are archetypal images that can help us to center ourselves this week as we consider the Sun-Pluto conjunction. I hope this has been useful for you, that you'll... Um, be able to use some of these thoughts going forward this week and and find that your interaction with this um, with this transit is enriched uh, as a result. And maybe maybe the wish for the week is that we would be able to um, make space for the dark sun somehow. All right, that is what I have for you today. I think we'll do a little bit more on the sun Pluto tomorrow. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And uh, don't forget, as I was almost almost going to say, don't forget a uh, new class. Roots and Spheres, Moon Circle, where we pair plant teachers with the astrology of the month. That begins this week, so you can check that out on my website, nightlightastrology.com. All right, take it easy, everyone. Bye.